Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 28 through 34 tonight. It says, and when he came to the other side, remember he had told him to get in the boat and go across the lake. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So what we're going to do as we get started tonight is we're going to deal with a number issue. <clears throat> if you know anything about this story, Mark and Luke tell the exact same story, but they only say there's one demon-possessed man. Matthew says there's two. So I want to, let's take a look at what, what, what goes on. So go back to Mark chapter 5. Here Matthew says there's two men. Mark chapter 5. Mark says there's one. Let me read it to you. And I want, I'm going to read the whole story again because there's a lot we can learn about this episode because Mark brings some things out and Luke brings some things out. But in doing so, I want you to see that it's the exact same story. It's not two different stories. In Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see, Mark brings out a whole lot more here. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank, into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what, what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Go over to Luke chapter 8. Let's look at Luke's account. Again, you'll see Luke says there's only one man uh, or lists only one man. And Luke chapter 8, look at verses 26 through 39. Luke chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. 
For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and the, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting in the, at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So now we see Matthew says there's two men. Mark says there's one, and Luke says there's one. Mark's account adds some more things that are of value to us as well, and Luke does as well, and we'll deal with some of those in a little bit. But we need to wrestle with this issue. How come Matthew says there's two, and Mark and Luke say there's only one? Before I answer the question, let me just tell you, this is going to happen again in our study of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34... Listen to the story here in Matthew 20, starting in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened and Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So here, Matthew says there's two blind men in this story. Go to Mark chapter 10, though, and let's look at Mark's account of this same episode. In Mark chapter 10, look at verses 46 through 52. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, sorry, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So here we have the same story. Mark has, though, only one individual and actually tells us his name. His name's Bartimaeus. Matthew, though, has two individuals. Go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> Look at verses 35 through 43. 
In Luke 18, verse 35, Scripture says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, were, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So here we see it again. <clears throat> Matthew in our story that we're looking at here in Mark chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 8 has two demon-possessed men. Mark and Luke say there's only one. In the story there of blind Bartimaeus, Matthew says there's two blind men. Mark and Luke say there's one. How do we, how do we reconcile this? How do, how do we figure out what's going on? Well, in order to answer it, I've got to take you to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verses 16 and 17. In 2, Peter, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here it's very, very clear. All Scripture is breathed by who? All right. All Scripture is breathed by God. Go to 2 Peter Chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 20 and 21. Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's get this laid out first and foremost. God's Word has no errors. God's Word is true. God breathed it. And these men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture is very clear that what we have here has been given to us that we may believe and know that Jesus is who He is. We see that in the book of John. I had a conversation with some people today, and we were talking about all this uh, global warming paranoia that's going on. And I told these men, I said, listen, I base everything that I think about and believe on Scripture. I listen to whatever comes in, and I run it through the filter of Scripture in all things. So when the world starts saying, the oceans are going to rise, and it's our fault, and all this stuff, my brain goes... The scripture says that God determines how far the oceans go and thus no further. So who's controlling whether or not the oceans are going to make the peninsula of Florida disappear or the west coast of California disappear? Is it man or is it God according to the scriptures? And folks, I went on and on. We talked about the fact that people are saying, well, it's not a fact until it's been proven. And I said to people, hang on for a second. It wasn't proven that the world was round until 1492. Was it not a fact that the world was round until 1492? No, it was a fact. But actually, if you read your Bibles, you know the Bible actually had said long before that, that there's the circle of the earth, that God sits enthroned among the circle of the earth. So please, before you ever try to reconcile something in Scripture, get what the Word says in your heart, there's no error. God breathed it, and what we have is the Word of God. So, how, how many men were there then? Were there two or were there one? <laughs> Very good. 
But the answer is two. And it just so happens that there's a chance maybe one was more vocal than the other. And Mark and Luke talked about that one. But if the scripture says there were two, there were two. As you know, it's very, very possible that all it simply was is that, like I said, Bartimaeus might have been more vocal of the two, and Mark just talked about Bartimaeus and all that. You'll see that as you go back and look at the accounts of, and I'll get right to you, Susan, you'll see that when you get to the accounts of the resurrection, how some accounts will say there was an earthquake, but others won't mention the earthquake. But they say, how could they forget an earthquake? Well, it's all right. And some say there were two angels, and some say there were one. Go ahead. What was your question? No, it didn't say there was only one. He just says amen. Exactly. Now, if it said there was only one and the other one said there were two, we'd have a different issue. But the scripture doesn't say that. But again, look for, watch out for people that try to take things like this and say, ah, I can prove that the scripture is not of God. Here it says there are two and here it says there are one. But like you said, it didn't say there was only one. He just mentioned one. But there were two. All right. That was all just introduction. All right. That was to deal with any of those questions. These men, going back to Matthew chapter 8, were so possessed by the demons that the demons were controlling their bodies and wreaking havoc on the nearby communities. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. From what we've already read on all three accounts, what was happening to this, this man because of these demons? What was he able to do? What was he doing to the town people, townspeople? He was tormenting them. <clears throat> I'm sorry? Well, again, I've never seen the movie The Exorcist, so I can't, answer, I can't help you there. So. Uh, but go ahead. What else, what else? What did they try to do to this man? They tried to tie him with chains. And what happened? He broke him away and, and, and all that. This man was so under the control of these demons that he had supernatural strength and he was tormenting the townspeople. This is going to be important later on. You're going to see this later on why I'm asking you these questions. But at the same time, I also want to point out to you, Satan's not your friend. He had no concern for this man. He was naked. He was bleeding. You remember? We didn't even list the fact that he was cutting himself. He was doing all this stuff. When Satan pretended to be on Adam and Eve's side, he was really wanting the worst for them, not the best. Now, I want to say this to you in many ways tonight because... Unfortunately, even though if I were to ask you, is Satan for you or against you, you would all get that question right. How often, though, do we believe him when he tempts us to sin that it'll be okay? And it won't do any damage. It's not hurting anybody. Go to John chapter 10 and look at verse 10. We all love to quote John 10:10. 10, 10, that Jesus has come, that we might have life and have it to the full. But we don't quote the whole verse when we say that. In John chapter 10, look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Listen closely. Jesus, Satan only wants to do what in your life? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose. He's not for you. Keep that in mind when he comes and whispers in your ear and says, this won't be that bad. This will actually be good. You need it. Go to James chapter 1. 
Let's look what the scripture actually says happens to those who play with Satan and believe his lies. James chapter 1, look at verses 13 through 15. James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. I mean, so which is it? Is it Satan that's tempting us, or is it our own desire? It's kind of both, but it's really, it's your own desire. It's already in you, folks. It's part of that fallen nature. It's part of that sin condition that was passed on to us. It's already in you, like you've heard me say over and over. You never had to teach your kids to say mine. You never had to teach your kid to say no. You never had to teach your kid to hit or to lie, or to bite. You never had to teach them that. Why? Because it's in us. We already have that in us. All Satan does is come and poke it. You know how Flip Wilson used to say years ago, the devil made me do it. Well, guess what? That's not true. You chose. He might have suggested it, but the idea didn't start with him. It was already in you. And when you fall prey to it, it brings forth not only sin, but death. And the word death, if you were to do a study of the word death, means separation. And that's where we're not only separated from God because of our sin and all that. Thank God he's reunited us through faith in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, even as believers, when we listen to Satan and fall into temptation and give in to sin, we don't lose our relationship with him, but it definitely affects the fellowship that we have with him. We grieve the spirit, we quench the spirit. And there's a death that occurs in a sense. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, look at verses 15 through 17. In 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, the scripture says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I don't know the specific details of how this individual ended up with a legion of demons, but from what I know from the scriptures, it didn't just happen to him. You have to choose to invite the evil spirits in. Just like you have to choose to invite Jesus in, you actually choose when you're going to start playing with things of the world. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. Stay away from the horoscopes. Stay away from uh, the psychics. Stay away from the Ouija boards. Stay away from those types of things. Be aware of those who talk to you about having a spirit guide and all these things. You should be centered on Jesus and Him alone because there is a spiritual realm that is evil out there, and it's greater than you and I. And the only one that can defeat him is Jesus and has. But we need to walk in the spirit, and we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. 
I don't know the specifics of how this man ended up with a legion of demons, but it was by his choice. I can tell you that according to Scripture. And then once he did, he started opening himself up to things, and all of a sudden he was no longer in control of his life. Folks, let me just tell you, many a person that I've dealt with as a pastor over the years who have fallen into sin and ended up in adultery and ended up in all this other kind of stuff and lost their marriage and lost all their relationship with their wife and their kids or whatever, if, when I've talked with them, they said, I never intended to go here. I would have never thought that I would end up here. But it was just a little something here and a little something there. They didn't take serious the seriousness of sin. You want proof that sin is serious? The only way that it could be reconciled is by God sending his own son to die that horrific death for you and me. Go to Romans chapter 6. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many times have you ever heard someone that claims to be a Christian, and I'm just going to put it to you that way, I don't know where they stand, but how many times have you ever heard a person that claimed to be a Christian and talking about their old manner of life before they got so-called so saved, brag about how they used to be the best drinker, brag about how they could had the fastest car and they could outrun the cops, brag about how they stole so much stuff. It, it, the Bible says that if you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And I've heard too many people say, oh, back then I was the best drinker. Back then I had the fastest car and the cops couldn't catch me. And they brag about that way of life. But the scripture says if we're truly born again and we know what it is, we are ashamed of that, that what we used to do. We don't even want to talk about it. We'd rather you not know. Be careful of those who think that they're going to get some kind of credit and glory by bragging about how much of a sinner they were. No, don't do that. Also, I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 8 and notice how the demons were aware of their coming judgment and how their judgment was going to be executed by Jesus. Did anybody notice in each of the accounts from Matthew and Mark and Luke, we got a little bit more information. Let's go back and take a look at Matthew's account again. Look at verse eight, I mean, chapter 8, verse 29. In Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So you'll see in all the accounts, they know who Jesus is. They know full well. Even the people on the earth, had, they didn't know who he was. But the demons knew. How come? How come they knew? Exactly. He created them. They're in that spiritual realm. They already see what we can't see with our eyes. They know. You've heard me say it before. If Jesus is in you, the demons can't go anywhere near you without the Father's permission. That's a wonderful thing to know. Because when the demons look at me, you may see just Jim, 
but the demons in the spiritual realm see God because he lives within me. And that's a wonderful way to feel. You've got to keep that in mind. Let the scripture affect how you look at everything in this life. Let the scripture, everything that comes in from your television or whatever, run it through the filter of scripture and live on what the scripture says and you'll be fine. You'll have peace. Oh, they said, have you come to torment us? What? Do you understand that? They already know that that time is set. I could take you to Acts chapter 17 and think it's around verse 31, 32, where the scripture says that God has already set a day of judgment and he's already proven who that man is that's going to judge the world by raising him from the dead. That day has been set and they know there's a time coming of their judgment. We could go and look at Revelation and how at the midpoint to the end of the tribulation period, Satan's really going to amp it up because he knows that his time is short. The demons already know that day is coming and that time has been set. And they were like, are you going to send us there before it's time? Go to Mark's account. Look what is brought out in Mark's account. Go to chapter 5 again and look at verses 6 and 7. In Mark chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. How many of us have heard the jokes about how Satan and his minions are going to be ruling in hell? And, there's going to be, and how many people said, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather go to hell and party with my friends? The demons, who already know what that time is going to be like, aren't looking forward to it, folks. They know that it's a time of torment. It's a time of torment. Luke actually brings something else out. Go to Luke chapter 8. Look at verses 28 through 31. Luke 20, chapter 8, verse 28. When this man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into what? The abyss. We now get a little bit more information. They said, don't send us to the abyss. They not only knew that there was a day coming and that Jesus was going to be the one who judged them, and they not only knew that that time was already set, they knew exactly where they were going and that that would be a place of torment. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The Bible says very clearly that there's a place of torment and imprisonment that some of the demons have already been placed in, all right? And during the millennial kingdom, all of the wicked angels, including Satan himself, will be bound in this abyss. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Second Peter chapter 2, look at verse 4. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then he goes on, if he didn't spare the ancient world, preserved Noah. So here the scripture says that there are some angels that have already been chained. There are some angels that are already in a place of torment. They've already been, been put in that place. By the way, does anybody know who these angels are? Jude tells us. Go to the book of Jude. 
you're there in 2 Peter, turn over to the book of Jude. Look at verse 6. In Jude chap chapter 1, verse 6, or the only chapter, verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So there are some demons that are already being held until the day of judgment, and then they're all going to eventually end up in the lake of fire. But who are these angels that didn't stay to their place of, of authority that they were given? And it's Genesis chapter 6. We don't have time to get into that tonight. I could take some time to walk you all through it. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you'll find that back at the time of the early part of man, there were some demons that cohabited with women, and they started to infect the human gene pool, if you will. Remember, God had said in the garden that there was going to be a seed of the woman who was going to destroy Satan. Oh, Satan was going to bruise his heel, but this individual, this seed of the woman, was going to crush his head. Well, if you look at the Scriptures, at this time, Satan doesn't know who it is. So, Eve gives birth to two boys. One's named Cain, one's named Abel. One of them's righteous, one of them's not. And you know what God, I'm sorry, Satan does to the righteous one? He has the unrighteous one kill the righteous one. Because he doesn't know who the seed of this woman's going to be just yet. And so you'll see it whenever an individual starts to rise up and looks righteous. This could be the one. And Satan goes after him. Of course, by a certain point, he comes to realize when Jesus takes on human form, which one it is. That's why he tries to get him to sin so that he wouldn't. But back in the time of Genesis, one of Satan's other tactics was this. If there's going to be a seed of the woman that actually comes and defeats me, if I can infect the gene pool, there'll be no righteous one able to come and defeat me. And some of the demons came and actually cohabited with women and actually affected the race to the point that God had to do what? Wiped them all out in the flood. He kept righteous Noah and his family, and he started all over with them. And he, at that time, took these angels and he put them in a place of holding, in a place of torment and gloomy dungeons until the final day of judgment. That's exactly what the Bible talks about, the Nephilim and the giants in the land. Well, and this is, we, we, again, we could go down this road, but you're right. But listen, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. And there's great debate among theologians. I actually believe from the scriptures that in some way, Satan's going to try again to infect the gene pool here on the earth. Thank the Lord we won't be here for that time period. Because I'm about to show you some things tonight that are going to make you go, Thank you, Jesus, I won't be here, because we're going to talk a little bit more about these demons. We're going to talk, we'll go to Revelation chapter 20. Go to Revelation chapter 20, look at verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be uh, loosed or released for a little while. So here we see the script that the abyss called the bottomless pit. But at this point, he actually takes Satan, 
at the end of the tribulation period, during the length of the millennial kingdom, while Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, and he throws them into this abyss and this pit, and he's bound there for a thousand years. Now, before I go any further, further, further let, me, let me say this to you. The demon said, we know who you are, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Did it do them any good that they knew who he was? No, go to me to real... Yeah, they fell at his feet. Yeah, they knew. They fell at his feet. Go, go to James chapter 2. Go to James chapter 2. Look at verse 19. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe, and they shudder. Here in this passage where James is saying, you say you have faith, but if there's no evidence of your faith, your faith isn't real. You can say you have faith all you want, but if there's no evidence that you have faith, what good is it? And he says, even the demons believe that there's one God. Big whoop. They shudder. There's a danger, folks, in knowing the truth and not responding to it appropriately. There's going to be a harsh judgment for those people. If God's opened your eyes, and I'm not just speaking to the room here, I'm speaking to all those that are listening online around the country and around the world if God's opened your eyes to the truth, you will be held accountable for the fact that he opened your eyes to that truth. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, there is an even stricter judgment for those who have had their eyes open to the truth and rejected Jesus. But I want to share with you some things that might help you wake up a little bit when it comes to this whole seriousness of sin and the danger of messing with the spiritual realm. You know that these angels, these demons, these fallen angels, and Satan are going to be bound in the abyss and the pit for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. I don't know how many of you know that during the tribulation period, though, just prior to that, at a certain point, God is going to release a lot of these demons out of that pit, out of the abyss, and they're going to be allowed to come and do some horrific things on the earth. Go with me to Revelation chapter 9. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like a crown of gold, and their faces were like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. 
and they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for, was for five months as in their tails. And they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. He, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. By the way, if these angels are bound, are they good angels or bad angels? These are bad angels. Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. For the, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And by the way, if they've been chomping at the bit waiting, don't you think they're going to do a good job? The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode them. They, were, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like the lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came from their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up their worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. For years, I've heard theologians try to figure out who the, what these scorpions are that have the sting in their tails, and they try to say it's, a, it's an Apache helicopter, and, or it's going to be this number of armies. It's actually the Chinese army and all this. Folks, listen closely to me. These are demons that have been released from the pit on the world at that time. And again, God controls what they're able to do, and for the first five months, all they're allowed to do is just torment people. And, and, and I've dealt with pain, and I know people that have dealt with way worse pain than me, and sometimes if you've ever dealt with pain, continual pain that doesn't go away, it works on your head, does it not? I know of people that actually contemplate suicide because they just can't handle the pain anymore. The Bible says these demons are going to be able to torment people with such pain that they'll want to die, and they won't be able to. And then they'll be released to be able to kill a third of mankind. Folks, if Satan had his full way with you and I on the earth, where would we be right now? We'd be all dead. We don't realize how much protection we all have from God, even before, even before we're saved. He's been looking out for you, and he's been looking out for me. And the day is coming when the world is all going to recognize the evil that's always been there. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it over and over I believe that what we have here in this world that we can see in this universe that was created by God, the visible realm has been created. The invisible realm already existed. And I believe Satan's fall happened before he created a bush on this earth. And he created all of this just to demonstrate to the spiritual realm who he is. 
and he's using us for a season. And if we're willing to humble ourselves and not take the bait and wanting to be like God, but are willing to humble ourselves and let God be God and us not be God. Let him use us, as you've heard me say before, as pawns. Let us be willing to say, it's, you know what? God's already proven that he's the one I want to worship because sending his son. I choose not to follow Satan. I choose to follow God. The Bible says one day at the end of this time that we can see that we're going to go into that other realm and he's going to reward us for eternity. And the Bible says that angels long to look into what he's done for us. The Bible's very, very clear that we're going to judge and rule angels. But the question is, are you willing between now and then to realize the seriousness of sin and no longer play with it? Thank God for his protection and he can't indwell a believer. But so many Christians are still flirting with the world. And we look at what Satan really is like. You've only gotten a taste of it in a picture here. You don't want to play with it. Take it serious, folks. Take sin seriously. You don't want to be here when that all happens, Revelation 9, do you? Well, I got good news for you. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 10. Remember, these are messages not only to this specific church, but also to the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. There's a time coming. The demons already know it's coming. They know that hour is coming. They know it's not going to be fun. It's going to be a time of torment and judgment. They know that the one who's going to execute the judgment is Jesus. And God's made a promise to those who are in his church. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us, sorry, concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The Bible's real clear, folks, that Jesus is going to gather his bride, he's going to gather his church before this final time of judgment that's going to be coming on the earth, the tribulation period. The day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period and culminates into the millennial kingdom. And that time is coming, and it's coming quickly. It's coming soon. I don't know how, much you, how many of you have been paying attention to all the stuff that's ramping up, how the wickedness is increasing. And here in America, I'm just going to just say it for what it is. Has anybody noticed that you can't watch a commercial now that doesn't have a gay couple in it? Have you ever noticed how the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the evidence that God's given us over as a nation, as a people, is that the homosexuality will increase? It's happening, folks. It's happening fast. And if it's happening in America, which had been a country that had been centered on the things of God and, and, and one of the greatest missionary sending countries, if it's happening here, it's spreading throughout the whole world. Like the Bible said, the wickedness will increase. And we're hearing people talk about, and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about, Sheila, how all this UFO stuff now that's coming out and UFO sightings. Let me just tell you what it is. It's demons. It's not aliens from another planet, per se. It's the demon realm. And they're, given, they're given a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, what was the reason why God stopped and brought judgment on the world? Because of the demon influence that had increased 
and it started to infect the gene pool. And when that begins, and it's happening, the time is close. The time is close. Get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. He's going to take us away from here. Well, what I want to do tonight in the time we have left, though, is go back to our, our story in Matthew chapter 8. And look at how the people responded to what Jesus did. Remember how I asked you at the beginning, what was this man doing to the townspeople? He was tormenting them. They tried to bind him so that he wouldn't mess with them. It's almost like they had to have people staying up at night to watch out if this wacko who is uncontrollable is going to come and do things to their house or their family or whatever. They tried binding him with chains and he would just break them. And, and it, it was just, and then they come and they hear what happened. And they come and they see the man sitting in his right mind and clothed. And instead of celebrating and giving Jesus a party, saying, thank you, here are the keys to the city, what did they do? They asked him to leave. They said, um, do you mind going? Why do you think that is? Why do you think, why do you think they asked him to leave? No, well, definitely a sinful city, but the scripture actually tells us. It's in your story. Go back and look. Well, some of them were upset about the fact that their livelihood, but the Bible actually tells us. Look in your, don't, don't, I'm telling you folks, I'm trying to teach you this. Don't use human reasoning to guess why. What does the scripture say? I'm sorry? Nope, that's not, they didn't say they lost their bacon. Well, that don't make some people mad. They were what? They were terrified. They knew that this guy had so much power and the, the spiritual forces of evil were so powerful they could have nothing. And then here comes this one man who's able to just take care of him with a word. And they realized he had greater power and that scared him to death. Go to Mark chapter 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. In Mark 5, look at verses 14 and 15. It said, The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and the people began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. By the way, do you know the disciples were afraid of Jesus' power too? Go back to Mark chapter 5, verses 29 through 31. Mark chapter 5, verses 29 through 31. The story we looked at last week. In Mark 5, verse 29. Sorry, I said wrote 5, it's 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 29. And I'm sorry, and I, it's 39. I've got to get a pen and change my notes here. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 39 through 41. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so what? Afraid. Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So here we see the townspeople are afraid of Jesus. 
and they say, would you please leave? The disciples are afraid when they see his power over the, the wind and the waves. But the difference is, those of us who know, of, know Jesus, we know of his love and his compassion as well as his power. We should fear God. We should have a reverence for him and an awe of who he is and a respect. Kind of like you hopefully had for your earthly parents. Hopefully you respected and feared your father and your mother because they were the ones who were in authority over you. If you didn't, there could be lots of reasons why, and I'm sorry. But you should have had a reverence for your mom and dad and honored them. But in the same way, we should have a reverence and an awe of God in even greater. But we shouldn't fear his punishment if we know him by faith and he knows us. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But I want to show you what Jesus says. Go to Luke chapter 12. Go to Luke chapter 12. Look at verses 4 through 7. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You're of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I'm going to tell you who you should be afraid of. But then he says, don't be afraid. Well, first off, when he says, don't be afraid of man who after killing you can't do anymore. I'm going to tell you who you should be afraid of, who you should fear. Fear the one who has the authority to cast you into hell. Who's that? It's God. It's not Satan. It's not Satan. Folks, Satan's being cast into hell himself. Satan doesn't have the authority to cast you into hell. If you go to hell, it's your own choice. The devil didn't make you do it. It was already in you. Don't be blaming somebody else. Adam, don't blame, blame Eve. Eve, don't blame the snake. If you sin, it's your own fault. You did it. It's in you. It's what you were born with. Yet at the same time, that's not an excuse. And if you end up going to hell, it's no one's fault but your own because God's done everything in his power to keep you from going there. He's paid for your sins. He's called you. He's revealed himself to you. But at the same time, he says, you better be afraid of the one who has the authority to cast your body and soul into hell. And by the way, who has the keys to heaven and hell? Jesus. By the way, do you all know that the Father's not the one who's going to judge? The Bible actually says that for the church, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ. And also, the world, when they go before the great white throne, people think that's the Father. No. The Bible actually says in John chapter 5, verse 22, that the Father judges no one, but has handed all judgment over to the Son. There's the people in this world today think they're going to stand before God the Father one day, and He's going to weigh my good and my bad, and I think I'll be okay. Well, they've already started off on the wrong foot. They won't be standing before the Father. They'll be standing before the Son, and the Son will not measure on what you did, because He even Himself said, many will say to me, didn't we do this, and didn't we do that? And I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The, the judgment that He's going to use is whether or not you've entered into a relationship with Him. The judgment's coming, folks, and the world needs to know this, and the world needs to understand this. And we as Christians would do them well to take serious the seriousness of sin and not flirt with Satan, even though we've been set free. We choose sometimes to do a whole lot of stuff we shouldn't. Go to 1 John chapter 4.
1 John chapter 4, look at verses 16 through 18. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Folks, that's why Jesus was able to say, I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. You need to be afraid of God, because he's got the authority to throw you into hell. But if you're my child, you don't need to be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. And so we need to have a reverence for God and an understanding of His holiness and take serious, the serious nature of sin, yet at the same time, for those of us who are in Christ, should never fear the judgment. We should never fear the wrath to come. Don't think that God's going to get you or make you pay for what you've done, because we still do struggle with sin, but we have someone that's interceding on our behalf. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and loving, and He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be willing to go to Him as His children and say, please, forgive me. Thank you that you've already forgiven me. I acknowledge that what I did there wasn't for my best and wasn't what you had for me. And understand that you don't need to fear that he's going to make you pay for what you've done. Because if you think that, you think Jesus didn't pay the full price for your sin. But Jesus already paid the full price for your sin. Uh, will he discipline and shape us and teach us and mold us? Yes. Is that pleasant at times? No. But we're in the process of him teaching us how to humble ourselves and let him be God and acknowledge Satan for who he really is. Now I'm going to close tonight with a question. Some of you may have caught this. Maybe meant no one did, but that's okay. Did y'all notice that in this story, when you put all three accounts together, Matthew doesn't bring it out because he doesn't talk about the, 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 the man wanting to get in the boat. But have y'all noticed that the demons asked Jesus a question, and the demons said, would you please not send us to the abyss before the appointed time? And would you please send us into those pigs? And what did Jesus say, yes or no? He said yes. The townspeople came and said, would you please leave our region? Did he tell them yes or no? Told them yes. Yet the one who believed in him comes and says, he, the scripture says he begged him, please let me go with you. And Jesus told him yes or no. Isn't that interesting? He told the demons, yes. The unbelieving townspeople, yes. And he told the one who believed in him, no. Let me ask you a question. Will you obey him if he tells you no? We're going to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Too many of us have a level of faith that is only as deep as when he does things the way we want. I recorded 12 radio programs this morning, and one of, in one of the programs that's not going to be aired until July, I was reading a story where Jesus is in the synagogue, and there's a person there with dropsy, and the Pharisees were sitting there watching Jesus to see what he was going to do. The whole radio program, that challenge, that five-minute challenge, was just simply pulling out from that passage, be careful about judging these Pharisees who were sitting there watching to see if Jesus was going to do things the way they think he should do it. Because all of us 
do the same. How many of you have prayed for something and you begged God and his answer was no? Whether it was a loved one that you wanted to live, but they died. Whether it was a promotion you wanted to get or whatever it was, how many of you, and I promise it's everyone in this room, have had the Father, when you asked him for something, tell you no. And we've gotten mad at God, disappointed with God because the boyfriend didn't show up as fast as we thought it was going to come. Or I didn't get married when I wanted to be. And how many of us have sat back and watched to see if he's going to act the way we want him to? Be careful. You'd be like the Pharisees. Here, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, he just talked about how he'd gotten to see heaven. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know Jacob's story. He had uh, spent most of his life conniving and trying to get things in his life to go the way that he wanted them to go. He tricked his brother, and he tricked his father, and he tricked his uncle, and he was really good at making things go the way he wanted them to go. But one day he met Jesus, when Jesus came and wrestled with him. Bob says he wrestled with an angel, Jim. Oh, you go read the story. That wasn't just any angel. It was Jesus before he took on flesh. And in the wrestling match with Jesus... He touched him in the hollow of his hip. He gave him a limp for the rest of his life, and it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to Jacob. It was a continual reminder that he wasn't as impressive as he thought he was, and he needed God. And folks, many of us need to have a kind of reminder that he's God and we're not. Remember, this whole thing that we're dealing with, I told you, goes all the way back to before the creation of the world. When Satan said, I want to be God, I want to choose, I want to make myself like the Most High. And I believe the Bible kind of hints at the fact that God then said to Satan, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a universe, I'm going to make a world, I'm going to put some people on it lower than you. And I'm going to let you infect them with that same attitude. And I'm going to let them choose, I'm going to go down and I'm going to die for them. I'm going to let them choose whom they're going to serve. And the Bible says if we are willing in this life, to be happy with our lot in life and say that he's God and I'll worship him. And even though it's in me still, and even though Satan and the world and everything's all coming to get me to go a different way, I'm going to choose on a daily basis to lay my flesh aside and worship him. The Bible says there's coming a day, not only that he's going to judge the world, but he's also going to reward those of us who are willing to say, even if he tells me no, I'll still worship him. The man who was told no, did not go home and throw a hissy fit. He did not go home and say, well, then I'm not going to go serve him then. If he wasn't going to do what I want him to do, if he ain't going to let me do what I want to do, did he do that? No. What did he do? He went and did what the Father told him to do, even though it wasn't what he wanted to do. He did what the Father told him to do. I love you. Go do the same. We'll see you next week.